0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, a member FDSE.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Football Digest. Um, today I'm joined by Matt Dunn, football writer for the Daily Express, and Neil McClemon, the sports writer for the Daily Mirror. I'm Andy Dunn, chief sports writer for the Daily Mirror. And as usual, plenty on the agenda uh, this week, starting with all things Manchester United after their painful exit from the Champions League. We'll also be discussing the World Cup qualifying draw as England meet some familiar foes. The scenes in Paris, remarkable scenes as PSG and Istanbul walked off the pitch. Chris Wilder struggles at Sheffield United continue, we'll be looking at that. And as the return of fans um, and the Premier League title race, can Jose and Frank maintain the challenge? Can Saints stay up there? And what's going on in Spain? And we'll also be asking for your player of 2020. First, though, where else to start, as so often, than our Old Trafford? Um, Just another quiet week, really. Um, Comeback win at West Ham. I was there for that one. Um, Mina shoots his mouth off, as usual. Pogba keeps his shut. United blow their Champions League campaign with that defeat at RB Leipzig. De Gea gets um, a coating from some critics. Their ex-players close ranks around the manager. Um, all standard stuff, really, for a few days at Manchester United. You know, John Cross is normally here and um, he's on holiday this week. But one of his, the bees in his bonnet, Matt, is how he perceives it as pundits, um, ex-Manchester United players, close ranks around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after... Um, whatever setback has befallen Manchester United. Do you think this is the case this week? Is Solskjaer um, getting the attention and the criticism he deserves after that defeat in Leipzig?
0: Um, Yeah, uh, well, he's not getting it from those particular characters anyway. He's getting it from all other quarters. Um, I think what's missing from Manchester United at the moment is clear leadership uh, at all levels, but particularly from the manager. Um, I was thinking about what it is about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he can get these results, he sort of cheer and he goes about his way, pulls a few master strokes, gets a great result in Paris, but then can sort of stink the place out uh, in other performances. And, I, and and constantly have this ruck with Pogba and his leadership. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a man who who you'd want to go and play for necessarily. On, on, on our level, he wouldn't want me necessarily, although the, the old left foot's still available should he need it. But... Um, But no, but we all meet managers and we spend time with managers. Uh, And as a general rule, they're quite impressive characters, I've always found, Uh, certainly the good ones. Uh, And you kind of spend time in their company and you think, no, I get why dressing rooms want to play for you. Because it is difficult being a leader of men. It is a particular quality. And that's what I I thought is the vacuum, actually. I don't know if Solskjaer... He's a nice bloke, he's a smashing fella, and it's so obviously you've got a load of mates in that dressing room of his when he used to play because they are sticking up for him. But I'm not sure he's he's a leader. I mean, people talk about all the media love for Pochettino. The reason for that, I think a lot of is because um people are quite inspired by him, people around him. He has this aura about him that that actually you do feel like you want to do a, a bit better for him, or, or you know, be on his side, basically. And, and I just don't get any of that in the, my limited dealings with with Olegan Nice bloke, there he is. Yeah, you see, the thing I would say about that, Matt, is, is that surely we hear a lot about this leadership,
1: but leadership comes in all guises, surely, doesn't it? Hmm. I and mean, without a doubt, you know, I've told this story before when uh, we had a social event towards the end of last year, and and and, and I sat and um, we Jurgen Klopp. You know, by the end of by the end of the second course, you know, I would have run through brick walls for Jurgen Klopp. He was that inspirational. You know, he, he, you could understand fully why players would buy into him. Haven't said that though, Matt. What I'm trying to say is it comes in different guys. Haven't said that. Look at look at see Bob Paisley. You know, oh. I mean, no manager has a record like Bob Paisley's. Yeah, you know, he sat in the stands for half the time. You know, he, he wouldn't have got Bob Paisley out on the pitch, beat his chest, and punch into the cop. You know, it was, it was a quiet handshake and off he goes. A quietly spoken guy. So surely it comes in all. Or, or, but he or the,
0: he just, used authority, didn't he, yeah, Bob? Yeah. I mean, I was never, I never met the man. But, no. but from what I gather, but, you know, if yeah. he had a quiet word and said, that's what you need to do, people yeah. listen to him because he had that authority. I don't think Ole and has got that authority. There's yeah. other people, George Graham, I've always been impressed with um, in, in dealings with him. Uh, and he's never so quietly spoken sometimes, but he just said, says a little quiet word. And you think, actually, I'm, finding, I'm listening to this more than, than and thinking about it more than I probably should be. Uh, and there's certain characters who have that quality about them, and, and I don't think is one of them. Neil, I, I, I would just say,
1: I guess, you know, those managers of Yesteryear that we're talking about, George Graham or, or even Bob Paisley, I guess they didn't have to deal with characters such as Minna um talking about their, you know, and superstar agents talking about their clients. How... I mean, how helpful or unhelpful do you think that the Raiola's latest intervention has been? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's come to the point now where Mina Raiola
2: just wants to get Pogba out. And I think that the, the timing of that latest and um, the interview in Tutor Sport the other day was, you know, obviously totally unhelpful. And I think it's just an issue that should have been addressed before. I mean, Pogba, you know, Pogba is a World Cup winner and that his displays with France bear no resemblance to what he does with Manchester United. And, you know, this is an issue that should have been addressed along with, you know, Jordan Sancho, all the other things. I mean, there are, there are obvious issues, as Matt said, from the top to the bottom of the club. And, you know, the only, the issue, the only issue clearly isn't with Dolphin. What struck me over the last week or two is the, reaction, is the, is the acceptance that Manchester United from fans and ex-players are, are the slipping in the standards. It's almost like they've become the new Arsenal in the sense that Manchester United used to be competing for the league title in the Champions League every year. And now the sort of, well, top four and a cup is going to be OK. I mean, it's really, I mean, among lots of great coverage this morning that the United, uh, we stand fans in Reedman in the mirror today saying, oh, we've got a nice team to play football. And obviously, like Solskjaer. And, you know, it, a lot of the fans seem to be happy. I understand it's divided. Um, but, you know, it was the same with Arsenal. They they, they, they went from being title challenged to, be, to just trying to qualify for the Champions League and winning cups. And, you know, once you slip, slip down there and, and, and look where Arsenal are now,
1: Mm. I, just, I just want to quickly address a couple of questions that have just come through um, one from Eddie I mean who suggested actually that Solskjaer might have picked the wrong lineup against RB Leipzig um, I, I don't know what, what you think of, of. obviously he went without Pogba um, without van der Beek um, I mean do, do you actually think tactically he got that one right Matt on uh, well clearly he didn't because
0: they got people well, no, I was to say but, but, but I mean tactically do you think that was a glaring error it's hard to say a glaring error because I, I always feel we I mean, need these guys live the tactics. They've got teams that live the tactics. There's always a reason for it. And hindsight's a wonderful thing to to criticize people with. He clearly has a plan. And tactically, I don't think he yeah, he's not someone who pulls off master strokes necessarily. Um, although that said, you know, getting a result in Paris again, coming back to that, you need to set up in a certain way. And he and he did found that way. Um but I don't think that's where the issue is for him. I mean, it's easy to criticise tactics after individual games, but whatever tactics you play, if the players aren't playing for you and going the extra mile because they're not inspired by you, then you're not going to get the result that you expect. Another question from William, which is an interesting
1: question, actually, in the subtext of it. He says, well, what will be the next stop for Solskjaer? And I guess that goes a little bit back to what you're saying, Matt, is that you know, if someone gets sacked from Man United, you normally think, you know, where will they go? Where will, you know, Jose Marino was never going to go away, was he? I guess Solskjaer is the type, they've got a manager who isn't of that ilk, is he? He's not part of the, the coaching Galacticos. And we're not going to say, OK, if they get rid of Solskjaer, he's going to reappear at Real
0: Madrid in a year's time. Mm. But having said that, you've always, you don't forget the chairman who wants yeah. to... Point and a former Manchester United manager. There's always ambitious chairmen at clubs that, that want that sort of CV on their desk. Um, so he'll he'll appear somewhere and have to do what perhaps someone like David Moyes has done, which is rebuild his reputation via a number of clubs. If he really is as good good enough to have been given that Manchester United job in the first place,
1: Neil. I, I want to move on to the Manchester derby um, this Saturday. I mean, clearly, you know, you can solve a lot of cure a lot of ills with um, with the win there for United. They'd. They're only five points off the top, aren't they, with the game in hand? You no, know, City are up there as well. I, I just quickly we'll come on to City in a moment, but just to finish off on United, I think there are a couple of issues that Solskjaer listen, I think Solskjaer staying in the job. So I think in a way, debates about his future are are interesting, but I think that Edward Ed Woodward is very, very set in keeping faith with Solskjaer, unless everyone went really disastrous. And then and then in the, the semi of the League Cup and they're high up in the league. And so he's got Decision to make Solskjaer in the meantime. A, does he bring Pogba into the starting lineup, considering they were probably better with him in it at West Ham and better in it for the half hour he was there on Tuesday night? Does he bring Pogba back and maybe swallow a bit of pride? And David De Gea came in for some really, really fierce criticism um, from Paul Scholes in particular. Does he stick with David De Gea and does he bring Paul Pogba back? They're my selection questions for this Saturday. Neil? Yeah, I would.
2: I would play him just because he's, he, as we saw at West Ham and saw Leipzig the other day, he gives you something extra. So, I, I, but as we've mentioned earlier, it's a really difficult position to be in. But I, I think that Pogba gives something to that United midfield. It, going forward, I mean, they've got a lot going on. That, that It's just going back to what we were saying earlier. There are a lot of good players there at Manchester United. Yeah. And often going forward, and their away record is superb. They do a lot of things right. There's just small margins that aren't getting right. And whether you're seeing it's the preparation or certainly the going out on the pitch and always conceding the first goal, you know, there are things that, that are going wrong, that shouldn't be going wrong at a top at a top club. And um, no, I, I agree. I think they'll they'll give him more time. I think um, the is the the man, the man in waiting, if you like, that everyone assumes that um is going to t- to take over. Um, it would be very interesting if Zidane had lost last night, and Real Madrid were going to move to Pochettino, and um, it may well put Manchester United into, to, to force them into a decision. But um, no, I think you play you play but you play your best team.
1: Yeah, now I, I Matt, maybe you on this. Uh, listen, I, I have a view. I think that it is time for Solskjaer to make a very, very big decision um, on the goalkeeping front. Um, do you think there's a decision to be made there, or do you just stick with David de and ignore Dean Henderson, who thinks he should be the number one there. We know that, Haven't talked with him in an England
0: context. I was at Southampton uh, when I thought the decision had been made for him because De Gea looked in a bad way when he got injured there. Um, uh, but it was incredible. When he came on, in those empty, the, the last days of the empty stadium, you could hear how loud Henderson is, how confident he yeah. is, how determined he is to lay down a marker. And in that game, um, they were so much better in the second half. Defensively, they didn't have much defending to do, but more organized. And that's got to have something to do with having a big fella behind them telling them all what to do. Uh, And that I think is key. And I think Maguire responds well to that. uh, And anyone around him responds well to that. Henderson's not frightened of taking on that shirt. And we know that from talking to him. But he's also, whenever he's got the the brief times he's got to wear it, he's shown that he can do it. And, And I just think you need a stronger character behind that particular defence um, because there are there's flakiness in it and it just needs someone to keep them on their toes keep them all concentrating and working as a unit mm. uh, and I don't think guy puts that out for him he's busy being a great goalkeeper but I don't think he's a great marshaller of his defence necessarily yeah, yeah I, I think he's going through not, not a great time I think it, it, it's a good point you make
1: the the way that Maguire looked at David de Gea after that goal from Justin Clive the other day Sort of summed everything up. They seem to enjoy playing with Henderson. It's tough. It'll be tough on the gear, But, you know, if, if Solskjaer wants to show, basically, that he's got the, the spine for this job, it's the type of decision I think he's got to make. Quickly on to Manchester City. I was there last night at the Etihad, and you think to yourself, you know what? They've won this group, obviously, already before last night's game against Marseille. Maybe they'll play the reserves, you know. And they sort of did, but they haven't got any reserves, have they? You know, it was, it was a remarkable side that he put out. They won 3-0. Aguero came back on. He's got pretty much now, uh, as far as I can see, this off the top of my head, pretty much a fully fit squad to choose from. Um, um, Pep Guardiola, you know, Fernandinho was playing last night. Aguero now has come back. By the way, he didn't look fully fit anything, anything but. So he'll probably be on the bench. So where do you see City at the moment? Maybe, you know, reports of their demise are exaggerated, Matt? I
0: mean, yeah, demise is far too strong a word for it. Hmm. The only thing is whether they've taken on too much damage already. Um, to, to mount a, a Premier League challenge again. And, you know, I don't think Liverpool are going to be rolling out results like they have done the last two two seasons. But, you know, there is quite a lot of gap there already. Uh, it just it just seems, in points, it's probably not as big a, as it just seems. But but that Manchester City invincibility has been shredded by it too, too often this season, I think. Uh, and teams go out there thinking they've perhaps got a bit more of a chance than they would have done... Yeah, the last two mm. seasons. So, yeah, they've lost that. That aura has taken a denting, perhaps. And and actually, the the practicality is they've still got a lot of the same players, and and they've still got plenty of weapons to hurt teams with. But but perhaps they're not quite that that, that little something mm. extra has, has perhaps gone missing.
1: Neil, if I could, I, I was going to bring this in later, but I think while we're on the subject now, we'll. we'll, we'll... Bring this in. Um, we're talking about uh, Man City there, uh, and and Matt mentioned Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool will be slipping up, um, you know, dramatically at the, at the higher end of the league. I'm interested now. I mean, you guys see more than I do of them. Can Spurs and Chelsea stay in the mix? It looks great now. I mean, I was talking to a pal of mine the other day. You know, just saying, wouldn't it have been, won't it be absolutely fantastic if we can have a a three horse race, a four horse race, a five horse race even? And looking at Spurs and Chelsea, I haven't seen a massive amount of them live. But it looks to me like they could maintain that challenge. Is that is that what you do you get the impression, Neil, that, that that Jose and Frank were are there for are there for the duration this season?
2: Yeah, I think I think they will. I still think if you had to ask me who's going to finish top two this season, I'd still say Liverpool and Manchester City. But I still mm. think that it's been really good for the Premier League. That a, the way Chelsea obviously lavished a lot of money and, and, and they've bought so many players that even they've, they've had the chance to bring them in Even not all of them worked. They've still got a new guys, and it's obviously worked with getting Giroud and, and bringing him to take his opportunities. I think Chelsea, Chelsea are just a really fascinating sort of what, what they're going to be doing the rest of the season mm-hmm. and, and Spurs with Mourinho. I mean, it, it, it's just been great. And a, you know, it's we talked we mentioned Pochettino earlier on, and it's, I think it's really interesting what Jose's doing at Spurs now. How it affects Pochettino's legacy at Tottenham? Because yeah. especially if especially if Jose wins things this season and goes close, you know, what what does it say about what Pochettino had with with the same players? But I just think, and I think full admiration to Mourinho that he went to Spurs, and it could have gone either way like a year ago, and it was a team that was starting to to dip, and he's really Shown that there's more than one way in a football match, and, 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 and it's still true that you know the Klopp and the, the Guardiola and the Nagelsmann style. That, that the way that Mourinho does it is, is, is it's, it's really interesting to make, to make the way, the way to, to look at football like that. And you, they, I think they bought really sensibly in the summer the of experience of the Premier League, and it's, it's actually they haven't needed Bale. To, to get this far. So, the, the other reason as well, but they, they're spending 250, 300 grand on a week of, on a player that, you know, with the way Kane and Son are playing, they don't yeah. actually need him.
1: It, 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 was, it was funny. I was covering the Chelsea um, Spurs game at Stamford Bridge. And and as you guys know, you know, it's not a biggie press box, um, the Chelsea one. So, they they put you down in the stand. You're fairly close to the, the, the sort of cinder back of the side of the pitch. And Gareth Bale was warming up like for nearly all of the second half of that 0 0. Um, draw um, along with Ben Davis his, his compatriot and uh, and fellow uh, his fellow Welshman and it was funny because um, with 10 minutes to go you know Jose sort of um, calls them over and, and you think to yourself right 10 minutes to go it's nil-nil is he going to put Gareth Bale on the, the guy who who we know has a game-changing moment um, in his world-class boots or is he going to bring the full-back on Well, I mean, obviously, there's no prize for guessing. (laughs) On came Ben Davis and Gareth Bale didn't get a kick again. But he's getting away with... I think Jose, you know, he's being indulged in a way. There's no questions being asked about Gareth Bale. You know, if Gareth Bale wasn't playing for Real Madrid like this, we'd all be saying, what the hell's going on with Gareth Bale not getting a game for Real Madrid? He's not getting a game for Spurs. But that's because Jose's found this way, I guess. And, Matt, he's found a way that is right up his street. You know, know, they're, they're not conceding goals. I mean... Almost, if you you could have almost written the script for that Arsenal game, you know, and and to score that second goal as they did, for example, you know, when Arsenal are in their box, I mean, it's just this is just, I mean, these are things. Josie must be having like you know enjoyable sleepless nights thinking about you know thirty possession and we've won thirty possession and we haven't lost to 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 Chelsea thirty percent possession and we've beaten Man City. This is his. This is this is peak
0: Josie, isn't it? He's back. He's back to Uh, his very best, isn't he? He's absolutely yeah, loving it. I'm loving it, yes. He's got his mojo back. You know, he's refusing to say what Harry Kane's injury is the other week just because he didn't have to say. Um, just because he mis- didn't have an injury, yeah. I
1: think. <laughs> well,
0: who knows? Yeah, yeah, but that little bit of devilment, that mischievousness, that I'm in control, I don't have to tell you guys anything, you know, but but in a kind of a playful way rather than a sinister way. Um, he's right on top of his game at the moment. That uh it was amazing at uh, uh, that Arsenal so I mentioned that second goal you know Arsenal are battering them in terms of, of, of possession and territory and then all of a sudden you look up you know poor Thomas Partey's injured so that kind of affected it a little bit but suddenly you look up and there are four Spurs attackers bearing down on two Arsenal defenders and you think how did this happen yes. and it happened because that's how Jose designs it to happen yes. he sits there hoodwinks teams into thinking they can come at you and then bang hits you on the counter the game's over. And then they're now more resilient defending um, than they have been for a long time. And part of the key to that is because there aren't any weak areas because, like you said, with the summer signings, he's now got two good, strong players in every position. Mm. So, you know, how they'll do without Kane and Son is anyone's guess because that just transcends everything. Mm. But that aside, they can muddle through. uh, And that's what Pochettino's side ultimately... Lacks the yes. ability to do when, when those when Kane was injured, for excuse me, um, he lost the goals. And for as much mm. as it's hardly to dare is to do with Mourinho, they're not rattling in a lot of goals, yes, despite mm. the fact that they're not seeing the ball very much.
1: Yes, interesting. And, and, and Neil Lampard, you know, has a squad again. It struck me when I was at a Chelsea Spurs game, and I looked at their bench and I saw who was on it, the likes of Hyverts, and I saw who was on it, the likes of Callum Hudson, the Doy. And so he has got he has got a really deep squad, hasn't he? That squad should be one that can that can challenge right to the end of the season on, on a few fronts.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, they've had the advantage. Kai Havertz, he's had you know, the illness, et cetera, as well. But you spend £70 million on a player. that Really, he scored a hat-trick in the Carling Cup, or whatever. But, you know, we haven't really noticed. He hasn't really made that big an impact. But it doesn't really matter because they've got so many other players who have, and I think during the course of the season, so Champions League and and, and the cup competitions, I think really Chelsea are going to be serious mm. serious contenders. And I think Lampard, the way he handled it and handled expectation, and no, I think he's been very impressive.
0: Mm.
1: Let us let, let's, let's just wrap up the whole Premier League while we're while we're at it, and um, looking ahead to this weekend. Good win for Southampton um, the other night, albeit in slightly controversial circumstances. Um, can they stay up there? And also, while we're at it, down at the bottom, Sheffield United, do we see um, a way out of this for Chris Wilder? The Saints first, Neil. How, how, how about Southampton and what do you make of the job that Ralph's doing there? Well, I mean, I, but Southampton are actually
2: terrific to watch because they mm. they play this high-pressing style and it's quite high risk and they'll often push the centre-backs, having two on two and bomb the full-backs forward. And you know, they, they can get hurt. And we, we saw the, the Leicester game last season and I saw them home to Spurs earlier this season where Kane and Son worked them out and just you know sprang the press every time and they scored five goals. And United, again, you know, the top teams are still a little bit way to go. But they've got this style of playing and they've got Ings who is he can come back from injury. He scores again. He's a, he's got a striker that's that red hot. You know, does does a lot, of, a lot of things. So I really do think that they they can be you know, the top, top. We're talking seven, mm. eight, you know, that sort of fr- fringe of the Europa League now. And uh, yeah, it's like a, a little bit like Leeds in the sunset. You never know what you you see them, but you, it's, it's it's going to be entertaining. You're going to see goals.
1: Yeah. Matt, um, as I say, I mean the, the, obviously um, teams down at the bottom. It's a bit early yet to start panicking. I think personally. I mean, probably teams do panic um, at this stage, but I don't think they should. But Chris Ward are under under some pressure at Sheffield United. Uh,
0: pressure, hopefully not. Yeah, pressure to get no. points rather than pressure for the yeah. job. One would hope. Um, but that's the trouble with momentum. Belief in football is is what it gets battered during a season. Even last season, you know, they did lose yeah you know, a lot of games when they've been used to winning them in the championship uh, and that belief that can bring clubs up into the top flight and see them run away at the start of a season like for instance teams like blackpool did um you know however many years ago that was you know teams do come flying up from the championship come out of the blocks quickly um, and then gradually it chips away and i think you underestimate it's easy to underestimate how much damage those that, that run-in can be having. Uh, and when you arrive again at the start of the season, you're not the new boys anymore. You haven't got that going for you. No one's talking about you particularly because there's other new boys to talk about. Um, it's not great whenever you get a single point. You know, it's, all oh, suddenly it's two points dropped uh, and the whole mood changes. And, you know, Chris Wilder's achievement in doing what he did last year with Sheffield United was remarkable. And the reason it was remarkable is because he did very well with a limited bunch of players, yeah. and they're not particularly that much better this year. It's just that that magical ingredient has gone, and actually, you're faced with the reality—the same reality, unfortunately—that Fulham, to a large extent, have, which is that their squad actually isn't good enough for the Premier League.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think- agree. I, ho- I, I hope. He's, sorry, I'll just, I hope he's not under pressure. I think. I think you've lost uh, an inspirational goalkeeper um, for a start mm. off. You know, I'm not saying the, the current goalkeeper has been responsible. And um, for any of the defeats, but I just think it, it, it all adds up. Sorry, Neil, you, you were saying about Chris Wilder. No, just going to, on, on Sheffield
2: United. I mean, at the beginning of each season, we're always asked to name our predictions for who's going to win the title, league, and who's going to go down. And you, and usually there is you usually the, the basis that you go, the, the, the three promoted teams will, will struggle, and I think that's more or less mm. usually the case. And but there's often one team that sort of struggles that you don't see. And United Sheffield United have been that case, and it's actually maybe not as good as it's the worst start in Premier League history that made, and it really is quite yeah, it's extraordinary bad. And you you just think that well, in a way that they're going to do what Norwich because uh, Norwich are, look, look they stuck with Farker through thick and thin last season and kept playing in a slightly different model, etc. But they're now back at the top of the, uh, yes. the Championship and, and, and coming back. So that maybe that's the decision Sheffield United are going to have to make over the next a couple of months uh, if it carries on like this
1: yeah again I think that's a great point Neil you you know Norwich made that decision with Daniel Farker and now after last night's results they are they are top of the championship and don't forget you know in a very similar vein um, Burnley made the same decision when when they were relegated and Sean Dyche was kept um, kept in 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 the hot seat and they came straight back up quite comfortably so I, I would hope that even if it gets to that stage that's what they'll do with Chris Wilder assuming he wants to stay in that Let's stay with the Premier League because mirror.co.uk and all our local, regional and national digital colleagues have um I've come together to run a Fans football of the Year for 2020. It's that awards time, dear, of course. Um, it's a public vote online and, and the result will be revealed on December the 21st. Now, the shortlist, and, and we might think there's one or two maybe absentees from this, but let's go with this, that the shortlisted seven are... Kevin De Bruyne, Virgil van Dijk, Jordan Henderson, Jack Grealish, Marcus Rashford, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. So I'll just ask you briefly, chaps, your thoughts. Who is your player, just based purely on, on, on what he has produced on the field of play this calendar year 2020, your best player? I'll, I, I'll tell you I'll I'll, 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 I'll start. Um, I, I, have, I have to say... I would have to say that the player I've enjoyed watching most is Kevin De Bruyne. You know, I mean, he doesn't have the 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 the, um, the medals to show that, that, that others do. But I just, I, I would, the guy I would pay to watch money out of those seven, pay the most money, I'd pay to watch them all. But the guy i pay
0: most to watch is Kevin De Bruyne. Matt? I just gutted for Jack Grealish that he didn't get your vote. <laughs> he have, if he watches this program ever, then, then he must be gutted. He must have been a i out of thought. <laughs> I'm never um, forgiving him for his COVID stuff. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I, I, I don't
1: think for the first half of the year. I, I'm going on the whole
0: year. Um, well, uh, uh, uh to be honest, in, if on the whole year, it's difficult because I don't I mean mm. we talked about omissions. I, I don't think Harry Kane's had about 12 months, well nine months. But he was injured for a bit, quite a bit of it, wasn't he? Yeah so everyone else yeah. sat out for a bit we didn't play football for quite a bit so you know true, we've got a out of the year anyway uh, it is a weird season um, I, I feel a little bit sorry for mirror voters that we're having the same asterisk uh, mirror readers that, that we're, we're having the same asterisk on Marcus Ratford. because if anyone's had an exceptional season and he's not done yeah. too badly on the pitch you know true. against the backdrop of that I don't mind him getting as many accolades and whatever that, that, that comes his way and then uh, I think the, the BBC situation is a bit of a farce, to be honest. And, and I'm pleased to at least see him on the shortlist. So mirror readers can make up their own mind, but I'm with you that the best player in the premier league as a footballer uh, and has been for, for three or four years is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, the, the, the man I picked out as the player young player to watch with Chelsea in the year that Mourinho played him once and then sold him mm. on. But, uh, mm. but that was based on a pre-season out in the far East when he was incredible and, I've I've always wondered what went wrong there and it's about the only time I've ever got got anything vaguely right on football and uh, Mourinho <laughs> did but uh, but yeah no he, he's always been he's he's an incredible player.
1: Neil who would you pick out amongst those
2: seven of from those seven Personally well, I I totally agree with Matt on Marcus Rashford that he's the, the outstanding personality player in the Premier League for what he's done off the pitch. Personally, I'd vote for Mo Salah just because yeah. what he what he brings what Liverpool, what Liverpool have achieved this year The way they did it, certainly before the pandemic, the way they played, and I think he's still part of it. And I just think he's a superb, and I love watching him.
1: Yeah, no, 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 I I agree. It's interesting. Is there anyone so far? Okay, we've only had ten games. Is there anyone so far who has emerged this season? I'm trying to think to who, who will who will go into the voting. You know, when we when when it comes around again at the end of the season, I'm just trying to think. It is. In general, the sort of it has to be the sort of usual suspects, doesn't it? From from each club, really, who are who are stepping up to the plate. Harry Kane, in particular, you, you touched on Harry Kane there, um, uh, Matt. And you know a lot's been said about him this season. I mean, just how is he developing? I was I was very interested um, to hear Gareth Southgate's words about him as a leader cool. um, um, when he was doing. We'll come on to that, that World Cup draw in in a moment. But I was very interested in ganner kind of Southgate's words about him because he, how he how he developed into a magnificent leader and how every young player was inspired by him, every young player looked up to him, how the Kane had natural captaincy abilities but had developed even more and it sounded to me like Southgate was actually even a little bit surprised at how Kane had um taken on the mantle of England captain and as you remember matt in the in the early days um of southgate's um and tenure as permanent England manager, the captain's armband was was shifted around various oh. people. You, you know, if you had an England shirt on, you had a chance of getting the armband at some stage. And and there was a time I remember. You, you know, when we used to have those those breakaway huddles with Gareth after conferences. You know, and you'd look at him and you'd think he, he might. This is a guy who actually might not have a permanent England captain. It took him mm. a long time, if you remember, before he, didn't he actually decided. No, and, and you got that impression, and because I, 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 he didn't buy into the cult of the England captain, mm. which we saw in in particular personified in two people, in David Beckham and Wayne Rooney. Mm. You know, they made the England captaincy an industry, you know, a celebrity industry for want of a better phrase. Mm. And I just think that's everything that was, you know, was was the antithesis of what Southgate wanted as, as an ethos in his team. He didn't want that individual thing, which is why he's reluctant. And it just struck me that we haven't gone back on that. And, and in the end, he thought, well, I better have one. You know, going to to a World Cup, I better have one, and he, he chose Kane. And I think he's been surprised. I just want to know as a as a player and as a leader, but, but also technically about his game now. I mean, how do you see what how he's developed
0: even more this season, Matt? Oh, uh, it's it's just been re- remarkable. Um, he used to do a bit of. Uh, it's funny because I was looking back at a uh, match report having written Spurs off after the opening mm. game of the season, where when Everton beat them comfortably. Um, I was looking back at my match report and I made a note there that Kane just was on the, in that particular game was, was leading the line uh, and looked distanced. Uh, and I, I sort of posed the question, what happened to the Harry Kane that under Pochettino did occasionally used to drop a bit, bit deeper, set a move going, go into the box, finish it off. Well, Mourinho has taken that, you know, to an extra level this season by by pulling him far further and further back um getting him involved more his passing his vision for passes has always been strong but he's really been able to showcase that and with human son outside him to be fair you've got to hit the ball into yes. about you've got about 20 yards leeway he's so quick that as long as you get the ball somewhere in his vague direction he generally gets there first um as it is Kane tends to be able to landing on his toe on the run um uh, uh and he's and son is one of the most underrated finishers in the game i yeah. think because every time he runs through on goal you think that's it um he's got that but it's the defensive headers he makes Kane from set pieces especially the goal yes. line clearances uh, and those sorts of things you still you know how it is when when you know, there's a scramble in the box saying, oh, who was that? Who was that? Oh, who yeah. was it who cleared it off the You're trying to see who got the shot in. Mm. Who was it who blocked it? Oh, it was Harry Kane. What's he doing there? Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's there. He's popping up there. And then, yeah, he's just leading by example with everything he does. You know, he's showing the defenders how to defend. He's showing the midfielders how to play a pass. And at the end, at the other end, his finishing is just mm. incredible. And I think coming back to that Southgate thing, I think it was a very close toss-up between Henderson and Kane. Yeah. Uh, ahead of 2018 uh, and I don't think Southgate was that sure um but Kane having been given the nod went on won the golden boot got to the semi-finals and you know and hasn't looked back and you know it's it's been the making of him I think because I think that's inspired him to believe that he can be the player that he, he works every ounce of, yeah. of his life to be and yeah I, I, I He's a standout player from, from, from this generation of Englishmen, definitely.
1: Neil, I'm not sure that you can start- add to that, to that eulogy to Harry Kane from
2: Matt there. Well, I'll well, say that I think to, until this season, it has always been regarded, Harry Kane as a traditional English number nine gets up there. And I just think that he's actually, he's, Matt says he's played now, it's to the stage where you can actually play Harry Kane in a 10-roll, in a dropping off deep. Mm. In a, in a, behind You could play him behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin for England. You know, in a three behind the one, just because so good and the, the relationship he has with Son. and mentioned that Southampton game. He, him and Marino read the game. Kane dropped into midfield or something, and then were spraying balls for Son to go. So you mentioned about players who are coming through this season. I think Son is, you know, one name that I would mention that putting him in running for one of the players of the years. And the other one I, I would say is Eduard Mendy, Chelsea. That so we mentioned all the money that has been spent at Chelsea in the attacking place. But I just think he's a top, top goalkeeper and he's made a difference. just, he's he's present, he's calming presence. He just, you know, it's always always like goalkeepers that make the job look simple, you know, and he's he's calm, he just does the the important things very well. I think he's made a big difference to Chelsea. I think we'll see that through the season as
1: well. Yeah, they're they're, they're the sort of player, Edwin Mendy, the, the, the likes of him, the sort of players who might challenge for personal or individual honours towards the end of this season In the meantime, just a reminder, you can go to mirror.co.uk and vote for your fans' football of the year for 2020. Just a reminder of that shortlist, De Bruyne, Van Dijk, Henderson, Grealish, Rashford, Mane and Salah. Um, He mentioned Grealish and he'll be one of those three English players there, Grealish, Henderson and um, Rashford. Yes, Rashford. Three of the seven on that shortlist, they're going to be key to Gareth Southgate's plans for um, Euro 2000 in 2001 the Euro finals next summer, and, of course, for the um, World Cup qualifying campaign, which begins next March with a mega game against San Marino at Wembley. Um, guys, it was the World Cup draw this week. England drawn uh, with some familiar opponents, familiar foes. Um, I wouldn't call them foes, but we have a good record against most of them um, as it happens. What do you make of the draw, Matt? Um, I, I always come out with the line... Every time England get a qualifying group, you know, people refer to the group of death. This is another group of Defo, isn't it? We're Uh, Defo's group.
0: It should be, but um, I think it underlines the whole problem with the European qualifying Mm. is that four of our qualifiers are going to be played against two of the six worst teams in the whole continent. Um, You know, we've we've got San Marino in there, we've got Andorra. uh, And, uh, you know, barring seven seconds and a bad Stuart Pears they their, their foregone conclusions. Um, uh, and that, that kind of is great. But one of those games is in March. So I don't know what Southgate's going to learn from that game in terms of Euro 2020. Um, at the top end of the draw, though, w- we do have to be slightly careful about the changing face of, of European football, because technically we've got the third best second pot team and the second best third pot team which uh, Hungary in particular we couldn't have if two are going to get through by the playoffs or or automatic qualifications it's that third pot you've got to watch out for to muddy the waters and actually Hungary are right up there amongst the most dangerous teams in there so right. we've got to have our wits about it and we, and we can't take anything for granted but but England have been you sound like Gareth no, no I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. making excuses for him but yeah. Gareth if i can sound like Gareth as well uh he will admit that there's no reason why they shouldn't get through yeah. that group very comfortably. And you know, he's he's not about to say there's no easy games in international football and then go and play Andorra and San Marino four, you know, four times. Um it, 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 we should yeah. cruise through that. Um Poland, you know, Lewandowski, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, but that's one player, uh, and we're better than that. Um yeah. the only thing is we, we do really struggle in Poland over the years. Yeah, you know, you know, there's obviously the famous Tomaszewski incident, but we've only won twice in the last, I think, eight in, in eight competitive games in history yeah. in Poland. Uh, so, you know, we might have to just True. take a deep breath after a draw over there. Yeah, we um, don't tend in, to lose, do we? We don't. But, tend to, yeah, we winning a Wembley, and that's job done. You know, it is. We is it, Wembley's key again. Yeah. Win all our home games, we're we're in the finals.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a, there is a slightly broader issue, I think, which, which you know, I think is is for another time. You're right about those smaller teams. You know, people have a go with the Nations League and say, you know, question it, its validity, really. It's, why is it worthwhile? Well, you know, I'd rather see those type of fixtures than England versus Andorra, England versus Albania, and England versus San That's with respect to these nations. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, Gareth said, well, you know, he's aware of the pitfalls of these type of games. Well, really, there aren't any. England have played, I think, I think the stat is England played Albania, Andorra and San Marino a combination of 14 times, won 14, scored 65, conceded two. One of which, of course, to be fair, was one of the funniest goals in this international history they've conceded. So I think there's a, there's a broader philosophical argument about do we really need this type of qualifying? But Neil, England, you would think there's one thing they can do and they have done over recent years is that they've been absolutely exceptional in qualifying. I, I Again, I, I should know this. I don't know, but the stats off the top of the head are remarkable in terms of how many qualifiers they've they've won o- o- over the years. I think one of the ones they've lost was a dead rubber. I think that was against Ukraine in, in in whenever it was. Um, was anyway, two thousand nine or something. like that. But it, it, it's England generally make pretty easy work of qualification, don't they, for major tournaments now.
2: Yeah, they've got it. They know what they know. What they're doing, and when you see that draw, you. <clears throat> My must, must, first thought, the biggest stories building up to Qatar 2022 are going to be stories about how season's mm. going to be work and getting ready for Qatar. I think it's going to be, hopefully, pretty quickly the focus. I think I think a lot of sure people forget that this is going to be a World Cup played in November and December. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a little bit out of kilter and we still haven't worked out what's going to happen with with everything as well, and uh, I mean the other groups. One of the things I thought interesting: Qatar actually in Group A, yes, playing friendly with Republic of Ireland and um, Portugal and Serbia. That's That's You know, that, that, I think that's going to be really interesting to to keep an eye on what that does. But I think I mean the only the only possible advantage, as you say, that playing these smaller countries, you do get to experiment and you do get yes. to play. You know, to look forward a little bit. You know, you 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 give Jack Grealish nineteen minutes and tell him to run the show again and get you know, that's another experience of international mm. football for him to hope he's in in good stead. I mean, I think I do agree that the feel the it's the same sort of theory of the, the way the Champions League is trying to be involved that they want to see more big games in the big clubs, and that's sort of the same idea of the UEFA. League of Nations that that's what people want to see that you know people the friendlies and even England's and are going to be, are hard sells yes. with, with everything else going on in the world so that's what we're trying to get and so yeah so looking forward to um, November 21st 2022 the first World
1: Cup game yes <laughs> actually Gareth Gareth Saga did talk about how he'd been there that time of year for the Club World Cup um, you know, and he's got no no fears about um, about climate or about conditions. You know, so it, it will be interesting to see. Interesting to see how it works out um, around the Premier League's um, um, fixture schedule for the twenty uh, yeah the 22-23 season, um, and see see how that pans out. You did mention the other home nations there. Well, you mentioned Republic of Ireland um, having to play Qatar and friendlies in their group, without going into their specific. Um, the details of their groups. I just wondered where, where you see the home nations standing. I mean, obviously Wales have, I mean, the number one seeds in their group are Belgium, clearly that's going to be, you know, tough Republic of Ireland's number one teams. I think, are Portugal and Northern Ireland in the same group as Italy. But I just wondered, Matt, where you see at the moment the progress and the development of the other home nations, including Scotland, of course, as well.
0: Well, well Scotland are building up their resilience, first mm-hmm. of all, which... Which was the first thing that they needed to do, Um, and they are. I mean, my first World Cup was '82 when Scotland had some of the best British players in their team. They had an overabundance of uh, of of talented players at the World that World Cup, Um, uh, and slowly and surely they're getting individuals. Unfortunately, they're all left backs, but um, but but there are a few better players now coming through to, to bring the rest along a bit a better organisation mm. so th- th- that's progress in the right way um, Wales um, have, have had a glory spell driven by Gareth Bale um, you know well people wondered you know there was a kind of a, a lap over between Ryan Giggs and Gareth Bale and and, and it's not going to come much better than that for them in terms of individuals uh, and their worry is now that Bale is getting older doesn't seem to be able to be putting mm. up any trees at Spurs anymore. You wonder how long he'll have that impact on an international level and who's coming up to sort of support him uh, and take them on uh, and keep that momentum going. And Northern Ireland have always been had the problem that, that you know, anything virtually is an overachievement. Uh, and we mustn't forget just how small a country it is and how few footballers they have yeah. to choose from. Uh, when they've got internationals like David Healy, who... But in terms of his club career, he had a very ordinary career in England, you know, and he, he's he's breaking records on international uh, international levels. They they rely on those individuals and overachieving and it's kind of a, an optimistic bubble to get whatever results they can. But but for mm-hmm. them to still to be as high in the pot they're in at the moment, it is quite a strong achievement. And and you know, for them to be reaching championship finals is incredible. So if they can do that again you know it, that that's winning the world that's winning the world cup for them and and good luck to them
1: yeah i, I mean i think I, I think all all the home nations are, are i don't know i'm i'm quite optimistic you know about about the chance of, of all the home nations i mean not necessarily qualifying isn't they're all not going to qualify but i i do think they are all showing science development england in particular obviously that would extremely
0: Andy, what i would just extreme. say is people may not have realized uh, this year the playoffs are semi-finals so that's the most likely route for for the for the uh, other home nations to get to the championships. But the second place teams go into the yes. semifinal go into a yes. four-team group with only one qualifying. So the playoff route's a very hard route to get to the finals. Yes. So it does make it harder it for does those make it harder, second yes. teams.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but I mean anyways, hopefully they will um and um, we'll have more than you know one home nation making it to, to Qatar twenty twenty-two. When those finals do take place in the same way um, as a, the Euros next year, there will be, you know, we've all been to these tournaments and they don't, they're not just about the football more so than ever. And I don't think Qatar 22 will be just about the football. We we know that. Gareth Southgate has already fielded questions about um, human rights issues, about other things surrounding the draft tournaments. And, 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 and such is the nature of big football tournaments in the modern age. They, they, they inevitably... Um, bring up more discussion, quite rightly so, and spotlights on things. And of course, one of the one of the things in particular that the spotlight is on is racial equality. And this week, you know, that'll be the same, the euro is the same at World Cup 2022. You know, th- this should be a flagship issue for UEFA and for FIFA. And it certainly is for, Fi- for UEFA right now because, you know, we've had the, I mean, as far as I can see, an unprecedented situation um, on Tuesday of the Paris Saint-Germain, um, and the Istanbul players walking off the pitch after the alleged um, um, racially abusive remark from the fourth official. Neil, what did you make of that that whole scenario? And, and, and is it, you know, a, a step in the right direction when you have this direct unified action from the players when they feel that, um, that something wrong has been done like that?
2: Yeah, I think it's really fascinating that the last week we've had two in, big incidents: mm-hmm. with the, the Millwall, where we were going to speak again, and, and the Paris Saint Germain, and the Istanbul um, strike. Effectively, what struck me was in the context of watching the Anton Ferdinand documentary on BBC last mm. week. So I'm not sure if, if people haven't had the chance to watch it. it. It's a great watch. It's on the iPlayer now, and it's really opening. And the thing that struck the biggest thing that struck me about that was Anton Ferdinand felt let down by the system that he had tried he felt wronged and he had gone to the authorities to um to try and to try and to act on this and he felt his complaints and his feelings weren't addressed properly and nine years later he felt let down hmm. now what the situation we've got now is we think i was going to use the phrase current generation of players for nine years ago it, also, it seems like a long time ago it wasn't Players now are not prepared to accept it. So we've had hmm. examples, of, you know, Kevin prince Botan walking off in Italy. Until now, they've been quite limited examples. <laughs> we've seen, you know, led by Bar and the Istanbul players, and then supported by Mbappe and Neymar, the other players. They've, say, they've seen what they judged to be wrong, and they said, we're not having it. This is not going to happen. And they've taken the action themselves and forced UEFA... Into taking the action and taking the action, suspending the game, removing the fourth official, replaying the game with a new, new set of officials. And I think that, that that is quite a significant step in the sense that players have said, my view of it is that there's a feeling the, the, the job the football authorities have been doing on this issue hasn't been good enough. We, we, you know, talking back to that Ferdinand issue, that they, they are saying this is the way it should be. We want it. We this is the way the way we want it to be handled, and it's now up to the football authorities in UEFA in this case, and then the FIFA and the other matches as well, to to match the feeling of the players. And I would say, you know, generally feeling the feeling of the football watching public mm. to address this issue.
1: Yeah. Matt N- N- Neil Neil mentioned there the the, um, the taking of the knee, which. Which you know we all got, well, I wouldn't say you know, we all became accustomed to when we were covering games behind closed doors, and and in a way, you know, I mean, like Les Ferdinand, you sort of said in in the end, it, it became something that he that he thought had maybe outgrown its purpose. But in a way, its purpose is now being reemphasized by what
0: happened at Millwall last Saturday. Yeah, I think it has actually. Mm. Um, I think people are talking about it um, again uh, for for the right reasons. Um, people have tried to hijack it and turn the Black Lives Matter movement into something that it was never intended to be. It's certainly not by any of the players taking a knee, um, but it's been given us an opportunity to refocus what it is all about, and why people are doing it, why people are still doing it, uh, and why it carries on. Whether or not the fact that, right, we've said what we've said now, we've had a chance to say it again, let's show our support in a different way, There's an argument to be said for that, because like you say, when players continue to take the knee, you you begin to become sort of uh, immune to it. And it doesn't have the meaning that it did those first few times. Uh, And it's important that that meaning is not lost uh, and is constantly hammered home. And if it takes change to do that, that then let's do that. Um, But I think without that backdrop of the global support for that, I don't think what happened in Paris would have happened. Um, I think, as well, England have got to, you know, feel proud as a nation because of what happened in Sofia. I think that, again, has set the, a stepping stone towards what could happen. Um, uh, and then, ultimately, yeah. the two of the world's finest footballers, I think Neymar and Mbappe, were leaders in... It's, it's, not, it's easy to walk off as a team, but when you get the solidarity, and that's what this is yes. all about, is yes. standing arm in arm together, when that happens... Um. then I think that's when the, the message is most powerful. What I would say, though, is I think we have now need, for the fourth official concerned, uh, and I'm, I know John Barnes tweeted yes. um, on this, I think we've got to allow UEFA to make a full investigation because in the middle of this is an individual who may or may not have made a racial comment that he realised. The fact is somebody felt they were being racially abused and everyone yes. supported him, and that's important. But whether or not the intent was there, that there's an individual right at the heart of that that um, you know may be having a very difficult time because of something that was completely inadvertent and, and accidental. So I do think it's important to, to finish the whole process and show that yeah. this isn't just emotion and whatever. You know, we want justice to be done for everybody, um, and so I think that process has to be allowed to happen and and then carry forward from there.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think you're right, Matt. I think that process has to be. As transparent mm. you know for, for an issue that is so so crucial for an issue that is so you know potentially damaging to you know um to everyone really I, th- I think that has to be transparent and I think you're also right in what you say about the players unifying they believe whether they're right or not they believe um that was an incident mm. of 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 racial um discrimination and they and they walked off as as a unified unit and that and that I think sets a it's an important stage in post. So when that happens next time, if it's from someone from the crowd, for example, or an opposition player, then they do it all together. It's like that game you mentioned in Sofia. You know, had the, you know they, they were very torn. And I think of the timing England, had both teams just walked off, then UEFA wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. I think I think you're right. I think that's important. And um, and again, going back to my original point, I do think that what happened in Millwall has re-emphasised the significance. Um, um, of of taking the knee before the game and and if players, I just think it should be the freedom of the players. If they feel that they want to do that and show their support um, for whatever particular fight they want against the inequality. Then they should be allowed to do it. Of course, we, this only came about because fans are now allowed back into the stadiums. So I just want to go into that for a moment. About um, I don't know whether you guys have been to games with fans as, as yet. Have, have you guys yeah, yeah. covered a game with fans, Neil?
2: Yeah, I've got a couple to the the Southampton Brighton game on Monday night. I, th- I think the biggest no- thing you notice is when the players first run out, the noise generated yes. from both nights is, is, is terrific, and uh, and then the, uh, the, the, the fans have got to get used to saying not seeing the VAR. Appreciate they no no more what's going on. They're watching it on TV at home, of course. That's a reminder of when you when you are back in the stadium. But um, yeah, I think in Brentford last night. I was I was there for the derby. And it's it's a small step, but I do think that the, the noise generated by though yeah. even the smaller, relatively small amount, two thousand, it does make a difference. It's a welcome difference. It's a small step,
1: but it's it's an it's a good step. Yeah. Well, what I'm interested in, Matt, is, is that I I read some quotes um, from a Wolves player. Now I can't. It's the name has slipped my mind. Um, I've been di- oh I don't I don't. But anyway, there's a Wolves player. Who said after that game when when they were when they were soundly beaten at Anfield um, in the in, with the first game the the Liverpool welcomed two thousand fans back and he said he was clearly taken aback by how much influence those two two thousand fans believed they could exert you know and you saw the pictures of Klopp as usual sort of them um, stuff in front of the cop um, and, he, and and the Wolves I think player was was, was clearly implying that that, that that you know they they had these two thousand fans a big impact. And that, a few days earlier, when um, it was, um, I think, Steve Bruce and and who else who, who complained that, well, not didn't complain, but hinted that it, it's perhaps a little bit unfair. I think it was Bielsa, wasn't it? Who, um, Bielsa, who, who complained it might have been unfair that some teams would have 2,000 fans back in, and obviously those in Tier 3 would have no fans back in. I remember at the time... I wrote about it sort of basically much laughing this out of court like you know and saying well if you know if, if 2000 fans are going to intimidate you you know I mean you shouldn't be in the league etc. However when I read these quotes from the from the Wolves player and um, I thought to myself you know what you know maybe these managers have a point is it fair that that some teams can have 2000 fans cheering them
0: on and other teams can't uh, no but we're back to classic Jose again he was that was point was put to him and um the, uh, we've got a walkout from Neil's cat there. <laughs> um, Fair enough. But, uh, <laughs> um,
2: feeding time for the cat. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, Josie was fine. He was asked about that. Uh, uh, and basically his response was, you know, yeah, yeah. perhaps it is unfair, but but get a grip. Think mm-hmm. about the circumstances we're in. Who are we doing it for? We want fans to be watching football yeah it's probably not it's probably not fair that chelsea can spend 250 million pounds in the summer uh, and leeds can't you know there's lots of injustices in football uh, and uh, the fact that uh, you know again Josie was did it far better and far more poisonously but uh, but, but but basically said come on yeah you know, this there's bigger problems in the world at the moment. He's <laughs> great when that, he's winning, isn't he, man? Oh, absolutely. No, he's he's the best when he's winning.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the guy that if he's losing, he's railing against every single absolutely. injustice in the yeah. book. That's you what know, it's he'd have a go at just... ball boys. He'd have a go at anyone with yeah. ball boys. I mean, he will yeah. have a go at anyone if he's not And now absolutely. he's like suddenly missed their sort of altruism, isn't he? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Okay, bigger things going on in the world than me, I and mean, not much me, but uh, exactly. Yeah.
0: but yeah, I yeah, just wonder what your
1: view. It does, you know,
0: it does, no, it does lift the fads it was it was brought home and i think this is perhaps something they need to look at if it's going to go on for the season it's in an ind- individual match there was the classic chart. i don't know if it's happened elsewhere i'm sure it has cuz fans are fans everywhere but but the um it was the spurs fans uh in the game against uh who do they play like uh against gosh my man especially playing. the weekend arsenal arsenal of course yeah north london derby yeah yeah, yeah singing to the arsenal fans your support is yeah, uh, yeah, and obviously they, they haven't got any tickets, and perhaps that's something that needs to be looked at. You know, <laughs> well, uh, away fans in away fans some way. Uh, it's complicated enough as it is, but as we get used to the processes, perhaps have some segregated, socially distanced away fans. Um, that that's just one thing. But I suddenly realised the noise that I've been missing that isn't on any of these FIFA tracks and whatever that they use. And it was when uh, Xhaka played a pass. Saka completely misread it and he went out of touch. And it's that old, way that ironic cheer. It's not on any of the soundtracks that you hear off the telly when they <laughs> create the sound effects, but that ironic cheer. Uh, and I thought that's the noise that's been missing from football. All this basically taking the pee out of the away team for, for a, a, a massive blunder. Um, but but undoubtedly, it just feels a yes. different game again.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I was. I was at the London Stadium, it was my experience of the fans going back, you know, and, and you think, well, 2,000 fans inside the London Stadium, you think, is that really going to make a difference? You know, 50,000, 60,000 doesn't make that much of a difference normally. Will 2,000 make a difference, you know, in that cavernous dome? And it did. I mean, it really did. Trevor Brooking came onto the pitch before the game and sort of, you know, spoke in front of the fans and it made a big difference. I mean, to be fair, it didn't make a huge amount of difference to, um, to the outcome um, of the game. But Neil... It would be good, wouldn't it, if if more fans, you know, Gareth Southgate again um, said, listen, he hopes that come March more fans will be allowed in and, and Wembley might be partly um, occupied by fans for those World Cup qualifiers. I mean, what I would say is I'm reading news stories saying London might go back into tier three. So I guess we can't get yeah. ahead of ourselves, can we, in, in welcoming, you know, big, big crowds back to football games.
2: Correct. I think we're looking at issues here that beyond football, that how's this yeah. going to be done? I mean, once the vaccine gets rolled out, are we going to say you need to have your, your, get it your vaccine certificate to be able to buy tickets in a stadium to concerts or get on flights and all these things? I think there is all these huge issues that have to be addressed. And I just think, as you mentioned about London, we, you know, the, the rates are going up. Uh, in a lot of the boroughs, so we, we have, by the yeah. next couple of months, we you know we, that that could end next week. Potent, potentially on the sixteenth, London could go into tier three, and that and that mm-hmm. would be you know, no more. We're talking about the next month or two. So yeah. I think we I think we just appreciate that we've got it at the moment, and I, and I do feel desperately sorry for the the, the fans that are watching mm-hmm. it in in tier three for absolutely no. Actually, out of anyone's control the way things are unfortunately that's just the situation that we're in and uh yeah i just think there, there will be a lot of serious discussions and i'm very interested to hear mm-hmm. what fan groups and clubs think about you know basically telling people if you haven't got a vaccine you can't come into the stadium from at the end mm-hmm. of this season or next season as well i think this is and i think this is going to be a sort of, sort of a culture war a discussion that's going to be go through that throughout the whole of society and, and, and football is just going to be effectively a, a small part of that
1: yeah yeah, well, listen. I think I think we all agree that that um, we probably we all said it, and everyone in football said it. How football was nothing without fans, and we all said during it how much we miss fans. But we probably didn't know how much until these last few days when we've all been to games. When even having just two thousand fans in there, has seemed you know just just brilliant. And bear in mind local clubs as well. Think how it feels there. My, my, my the club just down the road from me here is Crow Alexandra and they'll have. 2,000 fans in this weekend, you know, and and the average crowd might be only four or five thousand. So you, you're sort of half full. Imagine the lift that'll give to them. So let's hope Touchwood that, that that we do keep making progress and get more fans back in, guys. I want to finish on um, on, on on sad news, but um, but also just on a a look back and a happy. You note. Know, we 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 said farewell to a world great um, recently in Diego Maradona, and sadly another. I, I Another figure from, from that sort of era, I think he was a bit older than Diego, um, four years older, I think, and um, passed away overnight. And that was Paolo Rossi. And you know what? It just, it just got me thinking, you know, um, I was at an age then where, you know, my interest in football really was, and it's absolutely, you know, we, taken off through, through the roof. So I was playing a lot, watching a lot. And Paolo Rossi involved, I, I just wanted to... In, in one of the greatest games that, that I remember, Italy three, Brazil two, um, in, the, in the World Cup of '82. I just remember, Would like to know, guys, what, what your memories are. I mean, not necessarily of him, but of that era, because I keep reading everywhere how much the game has, how much the game has got better, and faster, and more skillful, and you know we're holding these great club sides up now as as having moved their on um, a step or two. But I'm looking at that, those games from that era of 82, typified by Italy 3, Brazil 2, in that, in that I think it was the second group stage of, of um, um, in Barcelona, wasn't it, I think. And I'm thinking, you know what, games don't get much better than that. I mean, I don't know what your guys' memories of those times are, or how you think the game has progressed or not progressed. Well,
0: Matt? Um, I, I I'm an absolute. Uh, yeah, a mere I mean, ankle bite to compared to yourself yes Andy. you are to, to be fair so, yes. um, so I, I was nine for that but that was my yes. World Cup in terms of the first one when I knew what a World Cup was when I'd rush home from school and, and watch it and the memories still burn as brightly of that World Cup as they do any of the ones since um, you know I I'd swallowed it all up um, it was uh, then that game I think uh, yeah. that was an afternoon game wasn't it so I was allowed to so I didn't have to go to bed and miss the end of that one um, I still remember my dad sending me home with uh, France cruising their way to the World Cup final in the semis and said, Well, come on, this game's over, we'll, we'll leave it there, son, who's off to bed and missing the three all and the penalties. But uh but that 82 um that 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 Brazil Italy game. What I would say when you play back, it's played at a very Brazilian pace. Um it was hot. compared to the modern game. It was hot, but even now you
1: it was see it.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. But you see, warm games played by Premier League teams and modern teams, <laughs> and the athleticism—it has to be said—is a whole quantum leap beyond that now. Uh, but some of the skills uh, and the vision, and uh, some of the things they were they were trying to do mm-hmm. with the ball, it was just—it's a joy to watch, and just just the exuberance of the play that that was there. It wasn't all about tracking back and whatever. Yes. It was about showing some remarkable individual skills, hitting some ludicrously long-range shots. With curl and dip and everything else um, uh, that actually ended up being world beating shots throughout that world cup uh, and that game probably exemplified yeah. it all with the, the excitement um, uh, and I remember yeah definitely we were all Paolo Rossi in the playground for yes. for a week or so because none yeah. of us had heard of him because we didn't watch international football before that and the, but for for sort of four weeks he was the man mm. Neil. Yeah, I think it's also in the
2: context of losing Maradona yeah. last week. About, you know, the, 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 what, what he was what for me you was know, to show that football wasn't, didn't start in 1992. And for me, the, um, that, that, that Italy-Brazil game is one of my favourite games of all time. Yeah. I remember watching just the contrast of style. That, that Brazil team, often regarded as the best team to never win the World Cup. Absolutely superb, flowing Samba football. But there's more than one way to win a football match. And Italy set up this very pragmatic style and had a red hot and the, the contrast of the styles and the way it was done just the, the, for me, that's one of the many great appeals yeah. of football. And just the, the reaction in Italy this morning, just looking through social media, yeah. in the paper, you know, a real hero of died is you know, you know yeah. every you know, Italy won it again in 2006. The 82 team had a, had a special resonance with the country after what the country had been through, everything yeah. time. And so, yeah, I, I just uh, for me, the 82 World Cup is given uh, England scoring after, you know, in their first game against oh. France after a few seconds. Just a, it's a real, a real happy memories for me because, uh, you know, that yeah. time and then just, as we were recalling about 86 and everything and what Maradona did then. I, do, I just think World Cups are special when you look back in your, you think where, when you look back on where you were in your life, which yeah. games you remember where you were watching them with you. The real sort of mark posts. In your life, and I think it's, re- and I really enjoy. It. So, don't think about those games. when you think about it, it just brings back really nice memories. And um, for the World Cups.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And, and, and Matt, even if you're an ankle biter like your good self, mate, you can still go back and look at at recordings of, of that World Cup and that game. I mean, that game. Uh, you know, I mean, the Rossi Hattrick and the the goals from from Socrates and Falcao. I mean, it, it was just a very special game a very special tournament you know and, and Rossi was clearly a very special um, striker and it's just good to look back to that era and, and not be always obsessed with with you know what's happening in the very very modern game but but we are gladly and uh, we will be again next week um, if you could join us then in the meantime um, I hope you've enjoyed um, the podcast you can catch it up from your normal um, whatever you, you get your podcast Matt, Neil thank you very much and we'll speak next week have a nice weekend everyone